0: Ooh, Ooh, the sounds of sweet vibrations. Mm, So sweet they are. I have to say, this is one of my favorite, favorite sex toy companies because, one, you have a sweet ass time. But also, I mean, they have so many different options for you. And
1: look how pretty and fun they are. They're bright colors. They do all kinds of exciting things. There's one that goes around your clit in like surround sound there's one that simulates um it doesn't vibrate it kind of blows air I love these. Also, all
0: of them are waterproof. All of them are rechargeable. They come with a discreet travel case, USB charging cable. I mean, this really is absolutely amazing. Plus, there's a lifetime warranty. So if you're looking to have a sweet time with Sweet Vibrations. For a long time. For a very long time. mm -hmm, You can check them out on Instagram at Sweet Vibrations and online. Visit SweetVibes.Toys. And we have a little promo code for you. We do. It's wild. Love. And you get 15% off at checkout. That adds up.
1: Have some fun. Woo. What's it like to grow up female and Mormon and then discover feminism and then get convicted of apostasy and thrown out of the Mormon church? We found out by talking to Kate Kelly, a feminist, a human rights lawyer, and a former Mormon. It kind of blew my mind.
0: This episode absolutely blew my mind because I had no idea about the Mormon upbringing and their worthiness interviews. And it was just, I I was completely shocked. And I think you guys will
1: be too. Hey, Whitney. Hey, Wednesday. We realized (laughs) before this guest showed up that there is a topic you and I have never discussed before. Yeah, it feels like we've discussed everything. I know, but you and I have never discussed religion. Mm-mm. It's time, and that I feel like we're moving forward in our relationship. We here. are. We're getting more intimate, and we have a third here. Ooh, we brought in a third. We brought in a third.
0: We really are moving, <laughs>
1: progressing. Here. We are, and she's so amazing, Kate Kelly the human rights advocate and lawyer, and- Straight up fashionista. Fashionista. Um, (laughs) Crushing it. And crushing it. And also um, has an incredible personal story that she turned into her life's mission about religion. Mm -hmm. Right, Kate? Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. I
2: guess. <laughs> I'm I'm just thinking oh man what would it like to never
1: ta- be like to never talk about religion to have what a wonderful t- <laughs> world. <laughs> right. Oh. Because religion has been the basis of much of your experience and much of your um pushing back against your experience. Yeah. Um I was raised Mormon and uh,
2: so Depending on who you're asking, uh, I was raised in a very
1: conservative, uh, sex-obsessed cult. Uh, right. Mormonism. <laughs> Mormonism. A, a conservative, sex-obsessed cult is yeah. how you describe it. I haven't heard I'm it. i fascinated. Yeah. I'm just like, what? tell yeah. me from your perspective
0: what it was like the day in the life
1: growing Um, up mormon in in oregon right yeah tell us about that yeah so
2: my parents are actually converts to mormonism they you know if you've seen the book of mormon musical they met the missionaries they took those lessons and then they joined the church they got baptized when they were already married so i was born into mormonism you were born into
1: mormonism yeah Uh,
2: although my parents are not legacy they didn't grow up mormon
1: <clears throat> so there's a whole thing if you are a legacy Mormon or if you are a convert.
2: Yeah, it's it goes deep. So if you're a Mormon who's like from what they call pioneer stock. So if it's people who originally came over the plains with Brigham Young and landed in Utah and discovered, quote unquote, Utah, a.k.a. Stoll. Uh, Utah from the native people there, then you're considered to be this legacy Mormon. My parents are converts to the church. So is
1: that like, is there a hierarchy there, I would imagine? Yeah, it's this
2: weird level of righteousness uh, and considered to be, it's not like in other religions you have like dynastic families or you have different things like that. That There's something similar in Mormonism where there are very well-known families. Okay. And uh, there are certain surnames where you know, okay, that person is from, you know, long, long time Mormon. Old money. Although the is an old
1: money Mormon. Yes, exactly.
2: <laughs> Although the religion itself uh, only started in 1830,
1: so it's like a parvenu religion. Yeah. <laughs> okay, tell us. Like, of, of course, Whitney gets right to the point of it. What was it? Yeah. What was your day to day life yeah. growing up Mormon? It was actually
2: very, in many ways, idyllic. You know, there's a big focus on family. There's also a big focus on fathers being very involved in child and like being involved in and in there uh, for, for parenting in many ways. So it, in some ways it was wonderful. Um, and that's a hard thing I have about religion is secular people don't understand it at all and just say like, why didn't you just leave? Or that sounds dumb, like- Too dismissive. Uh, very dismissive and then uh, religious people are, if you have any critique or if you have any concerns, you have to be 100% in or they consider you 100% out. So neither group, I consider myself sort of in this interstitial space between both worlds and I have been for a long time. So I try to hold them together. And I try to present both the good and the bad, which is difficult. Mm -hmm. um, Because it's both wonderful and nurturing and a sense of community and all of these wonderful things about religion, which is why people join them. And then there is another side which is racist and homophobic and uh, sexist and all of these other things that are very damaging and problematic. So it's really both for me. It's a hard story to tell. It's a hard story to tell, um, but it's the story that so many people live. Like, so many people are raised religious and then eventually exit.
0: And especially it's so now. important to talk about both sides of the story. Like, of yeah. course, it can all be rainbows and butterflies, you know, if that's yeah. the only thing you talk about. And then you can also hear about the horrible parts of religion that keeps people trapped. And that's where. I think is amazing where you come into play and you're like bridging the gap and you're, you're talking about this, how it really is, accurately.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I think the only way you can critique religion in a constructive way is from an inside perspective. Mm-hmm. So I always say people from the inside should be the ones critiquing. And that's every tradition. Uh, and so we need to create a space, particularly where feminists of faith are able to critique and are able to look at their own institutions without outsiders immediately piling on and being like, yeah, Islam is fucked up, isn't it? Blah, 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 blah. Um, by the way, am I allowed to swear? Yes. Okay.
0: Right. Yes, Sorry. You, Sorry. Swear. you are. We, <laughs> we swear,
2: swear yeah. away. We do some. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, no. We uh, drop We drop all the bombs <laughs> in here.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but outsiders, you know, sometimes they tend to pile on, and if you if you voice a critique, then they immediately jump in and start saying, you know, it's terrible, it's misogynist, isn't it awful? Blah blah blah. And it's like when someone when you talk trash about your own family, it's fine. But if anyone else says something mm, about one of your right. siblings, you're like, no, yeah.
1: how <laughs> dare you? <laughs> We're not going to say anything critical of Mormonism. We're no, going to let I mean, you tell us the story. There though. are legitimate critiques. Yeah. Um, so. Can you just tell us, you grew up not in Utah, yes. but in Oregon, so yeah. it sounds like there might have been already, like, a, another level of nuance, right, that yeah. your so. parents were converts, you guys weren't in Utah, you were in Oregon. Can you describe that for us a little bit, what it felt like? And yeah.
2: I grew up in a very small orchard town in Oregon. It's called Hood River, and it's beautiful. It's at the foot of Mount Hood, this beautiful, majestic peak, and in... Uh, a lot of ways because the Mormon community is so small, it's very tight knit. There mm-hmm. aren't a lot of Mormons in Oregon. And so we were this tiny, like hardy band of people. Who... How many
1: other Mormons were there when you were growing up?
2: I was the only one in my grade. Okay, uh okay. And I had no, essentially I had no Mormon friends. Like all of my friends were other, you know, religions and backgrounds. Did that feel, did you feel like an outsider in that? I felt, this is the funny thing about Mormonism, is you feel like an outsider in a very special way. Like you're the only one who knows the truth. You're Mm -hmm. the only one who's going to heaven. You know, you're the, and this is why you have to share it with other people because you want them to be special too. interesting, yeah. So yes, I felt isolated in, in a way, but I also felt very special because that's what you're taught is that like the only way to get to heaven is to be Mormon. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm looking out at thousands of people and I'm thinking me, like me of all I people. Can help you. Yes. I can help you. I was blessed. Uh, and so yeah, I, I wore. my parents are converts. So with this convert zeal you know that they're very enthusiastic and they wanted me to go to byu which is the mormon school
1: brigham young university. Uh, brigham young
2: university the lord's university uh and so they, I, I had like all of my school supplies were BYU. I had like BYU like
0: sweatshirts. and When like,
2: you were a kid. When I was a kid all growing up and people called me the BYU girl.
0: Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's they, kind of like Texas though. Like yes. their parents will do that to the kids. Or and, like, Michigan. You are wearing University of Texas gear Babies, from the time yeah. you Yay! come out. Babies wear
1: way. UT, totally. U- U- University of Texas onesies like in Michigan they wear U of M onesies. Yes. Okay, so you there yes. you were. So I was the BYU your, girl. Did people know that BYU meant Mormonism? Yeah, in most the people do,
2: I think. But most people also don't know what Mormonism really is. Did the other kids know? Um, I think other kids were just like, oh, that's a religion. Or, you know what I mean? It's very yeah. vague. And it's no one really knows, are you Christian or are you not?
1: Um, you didn't feel picked on. You felt special yes. at this point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they were all going to hell. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. I was going to heaven. What a a burden. Wow. Or something. I don't know. Was it weird? Yes.
0: I honestly,
2: I had a really good parent, so I had a hearty self-esteem. And... (laughs) Um, I also had this like f- this spiritual factor. And so I think the hardest thing about it was living up to the standards of the church when I wasn't with anyone else. Okay. So you can't drink, you can't date, you can't, you know, you can't, obviously you can't smoke, you can't do drugs, you can't, you have to be modest, you have to, you know, you can't wear tank tops, you blah, 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 there are when all these rules. can you roles. date? You're supposed to only date in, in groups starting when you're 16, and then, But you're supposed to be, like, married by 18? So it's what? like a short window. It's wow. a short <laughs> window. really to figure it out. I mean, many people get married later. I got married when I was 26, and I was considered an old maid. Like, people literally gave up
1: and were like, oh, I guess she's just never going to get married. I guess Kate's just wow. never going to get married. Okay, so you were growing up in Oregon. Do you mind if I go through chronologically? Because yeah, yes. I'm so fascinated yes, by the personal part yes, of the story, right? So you're growing up, you go – you get through high school with mm-hmm. um, no, presumably. Did you observe the rules? with yes. no drinking. Oh yes. Sorry, this is kind of a personal question, but what about sexuality, masturbation, all the things that n- I'm not asking about you per se. If you don't want to talk about oh, that, oh no, but I'm in fine talking about it now. <laughs>
2: um, at yeah, the time, it would have. <laughs> yeah, at the time, it would have made me panic, but. Uh, I think that's one of the major, major, major problems with the Mormon religion is sort of this simultaneous obsession with sex and also total clamping down and shutting down of any Mm. actual education. So it's not like I had comprehensive sex education or anything, but I just knew it was bad and it was wrong. And you have these – very troubling practice of having worthiness interviews with children. So, um, starting at the age twelve, you have an interview with a religious leader who's in your local mm-hmm. congregation. But Mormons have a lay congregation, so it's okay. like literally like that dude could be like a plumber okay. or like a lawyer or whatever he is, mm-hmm. and then he's also called to be this leader for. And a it's period called of
1: time. a worthiness interview. It's called a worthiness okay. interview. So, starting when you're twelve, yeah, which okay. is. Fucking yikes!
0: I was about to say that you know, is yeah. like that gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, yikes! Like, oh god, I, can, I don't know if I could do a worthiness interview I now. I don't think it's I'm worthy. For
2: sure. <laughs> no, it's even worse than Catholic interviews. But that's kind of the parallel where you're like sitting in a booth and you can't actually see them, and ostensibly they don't know who you are. In this interview, it's you're in a sort of like a business office with an old man, and you're twelve, a twelve year old girl. And he literally asks you um, very a series of very personal questions. Do you masturbate? If you do, how? How many times? Have you Whoa, like? Wow. Have you made out with? Or like, what is your sexual relationship with? Mm, mm, I guess boys at the time. Boys. Um, blah 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 blah. And then they ask you all these questions to determine if you're worthy. If you're not worthy, which you're means worthy of. Uh, so you you can go into the Mormon temple. Okay. So there are special buildings and you have to get a card and that has a barcode and it determines whether you're a tithe payer and whether you're worthy. So after the interview, if you're determined not worthy,
1: then you can't go. Okay, so you were twelve, and you were going through your interview, and yeah. you were being asked all these questions. Yeah. I'm getting a panic attack just I, thinking about yeah. a twelve-year-old girl being put in this position. An yeah. adult man. An adult and man. Adult, like some sixty-year-old dude is like, okay, like going through the
0: checklist. Like, how let's many say, times you masturbate? And I'm like, and how? I'm what, so sir. So, excuse me.
2: Yeah, <laughs> but you don't. You can't say excuse I, me. No. Like you, you think he's directly connected to God. And he, it's essentially like if God were mm-hmm. asking you He's like the gatekeeper. Those. Yes,
1: 100%. And he's authority. He's male yes. authority and he's a yes. version of God and he's asking you, yeah. have you kissed a boy? Yeah. They, probably then they didn't ask, have you kissed a girl? Did you lie no. to him? <laughs> Had you, no, absolutely
2: not. I never lied and, that, and I was so earnest. Like, but also you, there, you don't think there's any point to lying because he's representing God. He's gonna know. And God knows. Ooh. And so you can't lie. Like there are all these like folk tales about pe- them knowing if you're lying. And if you lie, they'll like stand up and rebuke you and blah, blah, okay, blah, Okay, Kate,
1: blah. I'm sorry. So, Can I ask you a question? Did you girls talk about your no. worthiness interview? You no. didn't have any support going no. into the worthiness interview. You didn't have anybody to say, how did it go for you? No. Well, okay, you Absolutely just went not. into the worthiness interview just on your own. Yes. Did your parents prep you for it at no. all or? Wow, just like today is your worthiness interview. Yep, and you go
2: and you. I mean, also for me at the time, I'm I'm literally twelve. Like I, for my twelfth birthday, got a Cabbage Patch doll. Like yeah. I'm, I was not. Like an early bloomer. I was like I was kind of embarrassed about the doll, but I really wanted it. So my mom got it for me, but then I pretended not to um, like it, even though I totally did. To
0: um, you were a young I was like 12. weird. I don't
2: want a couch patch. And then I like totally did. Of course. Did. <laughs> I definitely
0: totally like, want this you can, clothes that are like best birthday yeah. ever.
2: It was when you could crimp her hair. I still oh, remember. Yeah, I so loved cute. it. So I was, I was like, what? Like he's asking me like about necking and petting. Did you and know I'm what like, the words no, meant? No, I didn't. Yeah.
1: Okay. So he's asking you all this stuff and you think you're talking to God. So you're just saying, nope, never necked. What is masculine? You're like, I don't
2: know what it is. So yeah. probably not like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you, you don't actually know and no one preps you and no one tells you. And again, there's no sex education. So except for what you get in school. And sometimes people, Mormon parents don't let their kids go to that because it's too secular. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, you really just have no idea. And it's, it, it, it starts your sexuality education off with an intense feeling of shame. Mm. Because even if you haven't done the things he's asking you about, you're like interrogating yourself. Like, I don't know, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you also, of course, have sexual di- desire because you're human. So
0: you... And if you have that, you are automatically kind of unworthy, right?
1: Mm is like the the mental yeah.
0: game that you're stuck in.
1: Yeah. So you went ah, through this interview with really this guy, you yeah. completely told him the truth and then what was the outcome of this worthiness interview? So these were frequent.
2: It's not like you do it one time. <sighs> I see. Um it happens a lot. And um you cuz there's all these trips where you go to the temple and blah 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 and then you also have to have a worthiness interview to be able to take what's called the sacrament. So kind of like this communion.
1: Okay. Uh,
2: In order to take the communion, you have to go through the worthiness interview. So if you go through the worthiness, let's say I'm getting older now, I'm 15, 16, I have like kissed a boy. and I, you go through the worthiness interview, and if you're not worthy, then you can't take the sacrament, but it's public. So oh everyone in the congregation, like you're I passing see. the tray down the aisle, and it's like zooming in, com- looming towards you. And you're like, fuck, fuck, like, fuck, 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 fuck. Like, what <laughs> am I going to do? What am I going <laughs> to do? Of course, I never would have said the F word. So I'm going
1: to thinking, dang, 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 dang. And you you have to pass it by. And everybody, knows. and everybody knows. It's very public. Yeah. Do do Mormon boys have worthiness yes. interviews as well? So yeah. it's this intense sort of surveillance of your proto sexuality and your sexuality as you're an really adolescent. Intense. Just everybody and it's public. So yeah. when you got to high school, these these interviews continued yes. and, and did you know any Mormon kids in high school? And when you had kissed a boy, did he have to be Mormon? Is that
2: No? Or, It's, like, kind of this, like, recruitment program. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So you would, like, if you dated a non-Mormon kid, you would, like, bring them to church with you. Okay. And, like, kind of lure them in. Uh, So I did that. And, no, they weren't Mormon. So they would be, like, what is this? Um, But also I was, like, a person in the world um, with a healthy sex drive. So I, like, really struggled. Like, you would, like, mess up, quote, unquote, with a boy, which means, like, I don't know, he would touch your boobs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you would have to go through – you you had to go through that experience knowing and thinking, I'm going to have to tell
1: brother mm-hmm. so-and-so
2: about this. Like while you're ex- doing the experience, in the back of your mind is like – yeah, yeah,
1: like, Your, your sexuality is not your own. No. It's like the deepest, most personal thing about us did not belong to you. No. So mm-hmm. when did you start having – ideas or
0: challenges surrounding this Honest, teaching
1: honestly it, w- it took me a long
2: time i was such a true and earnest and that's the, the lovable thing about mormons if you meet them they're like very friendly very effusive extraordinarily earnest um and enthusiastic and i so- was at
0: a cafe the other day and i met two mormons and they were the <laughs> yeah. nicest people mm-hmm. ever yeah. and i didn't even know we were just started chatting and they yeah. came
1: to on it
0: and it just doesn't i don't know the two the, I don't know it just doesn't seems like an interesting place for them to and, come
1: and in New York too when you are talking to when you're on the street often in my neighborhood which is the Upper West Side right where there's a Mormon church there mm-hmm. and often someone will approach you in a really friendly way and start to speak to you and the way you know that that person is Mormon is we are not friendly in New York on the street <laughs> and somebody come, and it's really very like it's a breath of fresh air and it's really nice it was amazing we had a great <laughs>
0: conversation we were laughing I was like anytime you guys want to come have coffee let's come Coffee, <laughs> like I loved them, right? And then they gave me the little pamphlet. And I was like, You hilarious. guys are so nice,
2: <laughs> so good at your job, <laughs> yeah, um,
1: which is also hilarious
2: because Mormons don't drink coffee.
0: oh maybe they weren't getting coffee i don't know it's
1: forbidden they were probably just sipping water maybe or tea or or like yeah they were definitely they're at the
0: camp i don't maybe they're can they have avocado toast They may have been getting avocado toast yes you can have avocado toast it's Um, not forbidden no i Um, invited them to to the forbidden fruit of coffee (laughs) that's all right (laughs) i always
2: tell it i still don't drink coffee um just because i think it's like psychosomatic i don't know it makes me nauseous um yeah sometimes
0: it makes me nauseous yeah
2: and I I, it's. I think it's a combination of sensitivity to caffeine, but also this thought that it's sinful. That it's mm. sinful. It's still
1: in there. Oh, yeah. So you, okay, could you just give us an overview? You said the stuff about sexuality that wouldn't fly. And then there are real, like, as you're getting ready to fledge and go to college. Yes you're um, no cough no sex no sexual thoughts no masturbation you're getting audited basically sorry that's what they call it in Scientology yeah okay Uh, alarming parallels okay (laughs) and then there's no coffee are there other things we should be aware of that are just very basic things to us that we're not allowed in Mormonism um well
2: the funny thing is I'm preparing to go to BYU which has a whole another separate set of rules that are in addition to regular Mormon rules so like you can only have one piercing in your ears you can't you can't dye your hair any different colors you have to have shorts to the knee uh you can't wear sandals you have to like there's you you obviously can't live in the, you have to live in sex segregated dorms okay you you know, all these different things.
1: Kate, you wanted to go to BYU. You oh, yeah. felt like this is okay. because only people, applied to one college. Some people the BYU might rebel girl was going to BYU. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. I just thought maybe she had a rebellion ban, but you went with Wouldn't the that program. Be nice? you, you were um, interested
2: and you Oh no. yeah. I was totally interested. Plus I had grown up so isolated as a Mormon person that I went to BYU and I'm like surrounded by an ocean of enthusiastic young mormons like myself that must have felt great it
0: felt yeah. so great you had a community and like a family you're not the freak friends. anymore yeah yeah, yeah. how
1: powerful is that experience i'm imagining all these people unless they grew up in utah there must have been kids from all over the country who had grown up the outsiders or the as you said you feel like a freak and then suddenly you're in a community mm-hmm. yeah that and it's thirty-five thousand kids like it's a big school wow. Huge,
0: huge. That really, uh, I can only imagine how exhilarating that had to be, just walking in there. Yeah, because you said you were the only Mormon in your grade.
2: Yeah, and so I walk into BYU, but I'm also like because I grew up in Oregon and because my parents are converts, I'm also learning a lot of new cultural things about Mormonism that my family didn't do or weren't rigidly enforced Mm -hmm. in this small congregation in Oregon. So I start being really confronted with gender roles in a new way. Um, Tell us about that. My mom is an attorney, and that is also very taboo. Mormon women are not supposed to work outside the home, period unless it's an emergency. So you're only supposed to get an education, basically in case your husband dies. <laughs> That's wow. like, Okay. literally what they say. Mm-hmm. So you are supposed to be educated, but only so you can teach your kids, or if your husband dies and you have to work. Um. So my mom, my dad was not dead and my mom was a working mom. So that was Broke really, that rule. Yes, it was really, it was actually
1: hard on us because we were really judged for her being so deviant.
0: Um, And
1: and yet there she was giving you the gift of being deviant. I think the gift that my mother gave me was
2: to teach me that she did not belong to us, that she belonged to herself. And that is a gift that sort of carried me through in the end um, because – I went to BYU, I was so, it was like a fire hydrant of gender roles and strict policing and women are supposed to not work outside the home and you should, there's a major at BYU called family home and uh, family and home sciences. Okay, we need to hear about that. (laughs) So that's like um, essentially home ec in college. So it's sewing, it's pattern design, it's child psychology, it's like home finance
1: only women take it or there are no men like even in the building so it's like home (laughs) economics it's like ideological indoctrination like we had it in our public schools i don't know about you i came up during the time when there was home economics Mm -hmm. like once in a while there would be the stray boy in the class but it was basically to teach girls how to be girls Yes. yes so you had this class that was teaching mormon women how to be mormon women basically yes and but you got college credit for it okay so
2: i to be honest I uh, have always been quite a fan of fashion. So I did take sewing classes. Uh, and I, <laughs> even though I was a poli-sci <laughs> major, I was like, oh, I'm doing this. Um, and there are so few female role models mm-hmm. that you're just like really hungry for this, you know, just women who are smart and who work in the university setting. Like you want to hear from them. And that's where they are. And so, yeah, I had one of the only single women, they don't hire single women typically um, because that's not what they're supposed to be doing. But there was one woman who was a sewing professor beginning clothing construction. And I remember very distinctly that she was single. And she, you know, was in her 40s. She made all of her own clothes. She was this, like, DIY, like, Cruella DeVille, Ooh. like, homemade clothes made maven, you know? She was just, like, incredible.
1: Oh, wow. Um, she sounds like a like a good role model for you at the yeah, time. Yeah,
2: except for the problem with all of those role models were they were such a deviation from the norm that they would constantly reinforce that you weren't supposed to follow them. So they would say like, I wanted children, but I never had them. I tried to get married, but it didn't work out. I, you know, blah, 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 blah. So they would counter their example with with
0: verbal affirmation, was this something that they actually believed? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it was like I'm they sure. were they were shaming yes themselves. themselves. Mm. Ah yeah. It's sad. It's very
1: disappointing. so you you found a few female role models, but it was a sticky wicket. Yeah. Like I, I've never used that. Con- I've never said that in conversation ever <laughs> until right now. I'm just grasping here. The old Mormon sticky wicket. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's a term from sociology, the Mormon sticky wicket. So t- so we, it's interesting to hear you say that you just like it was like um just a waterfall of gender bias and roles and so including the class that you took about how to be a uh, how to be how to be a Mormon woman the right way. And what about your peers were you getting messaging from peers about the right way to be? Oh completely. And we there's a there's a really specific
2: thing at BYU called the Honor Code. Um, and the honor code is not like a normal, like don't plagiarize honor code at other universities. Like it's a very specific, like I said, set of rules. You have curfews that are really rigidly enforced. Men are only allowed in the dorms two hours a week. Um, during what a are called- week. Yeah. Which are called visiting hours. Oh, whoa. Um and like I mean Mormons are cock blockers extraordinaire. Yeah. Like, Sounds they, like they
0: they you only <laughs> let to be here two hours a week. But well, started now.
1: A lot of Super so you supervised? had supervised two hour visit, yes. Two hours a week with in young your men. dorms. And so they, what uh, would you do?
2: They you just we would like out. clean our rooms and like get all ready and like be um you know try to present ourselves as so desirable but also like it's really hard to have like a casual college stop by yeah when it's like in this tiny window right so and other people are watching yeah so it would be super awkward like if a boy came to visit you in your dorm it's like ah mm-hmm. we should just go to like the malt shop or something like this is too awkward. <laughs> um and that's what they encourage is public you could only meet in public and you yeah. could never do these and then there were like curfews so it was strict hard midnight curfew all these other things but the honor code office also encourages there's a form online where you can report other people so they encourage you it's it's very encouraged because you're really you're not you're not narking them out what you're doing is um guiding them to salvation So you're watching out for them by reporting them. So people report their roommates, people like, you know, even their friends, classmates, if they see them even doing something mildly questionable. Do you know
0: who reports you?
2: No.
1: Oh Oh, my God, it's like the Stasi in East Germany, right? And you kind of know, because like the only person who would know
2: that I was there past midnight. Susan! Yes,
1: exactly. Come on. I thought we were friends here. (laughs) But But no, this is Stalinism.
2: Yes. We're not friends. It's nuts. It's totally nuts. But even like because of the earnestness i had friends who would turn themselves in like i had a friend who her boyfriend took her to the airport past midnight so they were in her living room waiting basically just literally sitting on the couch waiting for her flight and she turned herself into the honor code office because it was past midnight and got put on probation And so there was – or I had another friend who literally got kicked out of school and ended up going to a different university because she was on a road trip with a bunch of people. Their car broke down and they had to stay the night and all got one hotel, but it was mixed gender.
0: Mm.
1: And so she literally got kicked out of university, expelled. (laughs) And she turned herself in. Yes. Because it's like you – internalize God's rules and then you subject yourself to them it's a very efficient system it's for such an efficient system people. and it,
2: you just feel so much anxiety about it that at that point it's better to
0: mm-hmm. turn
2: yourself in than continue to feel this like anxiety of, <laughs> of like
0: <gasps> oh. the only thing I can relate that to in my life is when I cheated on all my boyfriends I'd feel really bad <laughs> until I told them yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: You're like, well, now Similar. you know. And I was
0: like, well, now you know. And this is a really bad fight, but God, that feels so much oh, better. Oh, phew. <laughs> yeah, <woo. laughs>
2: Except for in this scenario, God is your boyfriend.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, oh, oh, wow. But, so this sounds like, on the one hand, it's like, just all fodder for radicalization but like how do you become radicalized when you're turning yourself in what happened what was your turning point um was it in college or
2: after i went on a mormon mission so it's in between okay Um, so
1: after college it was a typical thing to go on a mission
2: you actually go very young so you go when you're 21 so i wasn't done with college yet okay um so they've now moved the age and it's 18 now just a whole nother thing but um So I went when I was 21. I still had, you know, time left in college. It was kind of this two-year break in between. And I went to Spain. I learned Spanish. You don't get to choose. You just, like, send in your application and then they – They pick your mission for you. God picks it, but yes. Um, So, (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Um, So (laughs) if God – if it wasn't God, I don't know if people would, like, go to Ohio or whatever. Um, I think so. I would appreciate
0: Spain. Right? <laughs> Thanks, God. Yeah, I'll exactly. I was like, yeah, <laughs> Thank you, Lord.
2: <laughs> um, uh, yeah, praise the Lord. So I went to Spain, and I learned Spanish, and I got to do a lot of things that I'd never done before and meet a lot of people I'd never met before and like you know undocumented immigrants and poor people and people who were like suffering from mental illness and a lot of what you do is kind of minister to these people on the fringe mm-hmm. and mostly because they're the only ones who will talk to you <laughs> and invite you into their houses after you contact them cold contact them on the street right and so i got a totally different perspective on the world in that time period which was a blessing and so I came back and started realizing, like, you know what? I, I, I was in a poli sci class, and one of my professors said something. And I said, Well, as Republicans, I think blah, 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 blah. And he's like, Wait, what? You're a Republican? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, maybe I'm not. Like, you know, I don't know. I was socialized to be one. My, you know, my granddad is a state senator in North Dakota, a Republican. Like, we have, Elephant paraphernalia everywhere. I voted for George Bush twice. Like, um, I think I'm
1: a Republican. I think I'm a yeah. Republican.
2: And then I started noticing that I wasn't, you know, that I disagree um, with harsh immigration policies, that I disagree that people should be other, that I disagree that women are not equal. Um, this is happening
1: I, when you're like in your early 20s. And yes, when
2: yeah, yeah. So right when I got home from my mission, um, we formed a bunch, Myself, but, I mean, the good thing about BYU is it's huge school. So no matter what you are, there's gonna be like a tiny handful. Like if there are like five Mormon anarchists, like you'll find each other. Mm-hmm. Cause like right. that's where you would find them um, is at BYU. So some friends of mine actually started a newspaper called The Mormon Worker, which was ma- modeled after the Catholic Worker. Okay. Um, uh, which, which is, is an, like a radical. Yeah, um, it's an anarchist publication really? based um, on Catholicism. And which started by Dorothy Day, which is an incredible story. So it's it's essentially like borrowing from these other traditions and trying to make a place for ourselves in our own. And so we really started having meetings. We had discussion night. There was a group um, called Soul Force that came to campus, and they protest the exclusion of gay students on all the like most problematic campuses. So they'll do like a bus tour, and of course we're on the bus tour. <laughs> BYU um, was- BYU was one of the worst, and it still is. <laughs> Um, when it comes to queer liberation, then that's not even a thing. Um, and so we invited soul force to come speak and we participated in their demonstration. We started, you know, thinking we, we thought so earnestly about all of these things and we prayed and we, you know, we were, we were so earnest. Like I still didn't break the rules, um, or at least I tried not to, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I never had sex until I was married. Yeah. Wow. I wanted yeah. to ask you that question, but I was yeah. like,
0: mm, I wonder if it's too personal. Yeah. When did you no, have no. sex? <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I was married. <laughs> you waited until you got married. Of course. So how did yeah. BYU respond to you guys and your radical ideas? And- Not well. Yeah, and, your, and um, your families. So my family was still in Oregon and
2: a little bit removed, but okay, we did. Uh, we, we planned one of the first protests ever on BYU campus. It was a free speech protest, and it's a long story, but essentially one of the – Um, administrators at BYU is being fired for speaking his mind. And we're like, we're at a university. Like you shouldn't punish people for speaking their minds, period. Um, So we had this whole like very earnest protest And one of the things is about honor, like the whole thing is about honor code and honor. And one of the Mormon leaders had said, if you draw a chalk circle around me and I say I will not leave the circle, I would rather die than like break my word of honor. So we did this protest in the main quad where we spread out and we all drew circles around ourselves with chalk. And we Mm -hmm. said like, we will not leave this circle of honor until the protest has finished. Mm, was epic mm, that is um, pretty epic it we is. also dick cheney was selected to be my graduation speaker um and this was like war crimes dick cheney like not like before people yeah. knew about that dick cheney we were probably the only university in the country who would allow him to speak right. at that point and uh this was in 2006 and so uh Yes, we planned an alternative commencement. Uh, We had like an entirely separate ceremony with hundreds of people. Ralph Nader was our keynote speaker. Um, So we at this point were completely in Mormonism still, but totally exercising or, or trying to invent a separate world where we could be
1: both and yeah. And you you continue to try to do that. I mean, I think what's so interesting is how you started this conversation saying I'm not here to trash Mormonism. There are parts of it P- you said people through the lens of anthropology, people are their culture. And you're basically saying that Mormonism has had a big impact on you and you don't you don't want to just trash it all. It sounds like you're kind of narrating this process through which you tried to remain inside and tried to remain Mormon, but to rebel against the things that you didn't or couldn't believe in. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think at heart I am
2: a rule follower, which is very funny because no one would perceive me that way. (laughs) But I'm a rule follower to a point until I think the rules are unfair and then I want to change them. So that's probably why I became a lawyer um, because I want, you know, there are unfair and unjust laws, and I want to obey the law until it's no longer fair. It's, and mm. then I want to change it. So that's kind of how I feel about Mormonism. And also, Mormonism doesn't wash off. Like, right. it's not, I, I was, I, you it's know, part this of you. at this point, it's 30 years. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. And so it's part of me. It's like, it's like, Sometimes the the affinity I closest affinity I have with people are other people who have left high de, high demand or fundamentalist religions. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether that's Hasidic Jews or Amish or Scientologists or, or Catholics. Catholics, all of these people who have left those religions um, because we I feel like we can trade war stories. We Absolutely. understand we, each yeah, other yeah. in a way that maybe people who haven't had that experience do. So yes, I feel like. And I also feel like it's a question of uh, agency. Like why should the church be able to say who is and isn't Mormon? That should be up to me. And I should be able to take and leave what I want um, because otherwise they get to
1: decide my narrative for me. It sounds like your passion that you found on a Mormon mission, right? About advocating for powerless people and immigrants drove you to, to political science, to law school. It's almost like Mormonism radicalized you to fight against the parts of Mormonism that you didn't like. Yeah, they they created their own monster. Well, (laughs) I didn't want to say that. Tell us about the decision to go to law school. Was that considered really against the grain? Where were you by that point, by the time you said I'm on to law school now, like my mom?
2: I was the only woman in my LSAT prep class, and there were probably 50 other people um, at that point. Did
1: you get people saying like, no, you're not supposed to go to law school?
2: Yes. Yeah. teachers,
1: yeah. peers. Yes. What did your mom say?
2: My mom, my mom, God bless her. She's like, I mean, I think you can do it. I just think it's too much work. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. She's like, don't do it. Um, but I had decided when I was four years old that I was going to be, I said I wanted to be a waitress or a judge. So. Okay. So I didn't you- go the food service route. You, um, So I always and probably because my mom was a lawyer and, you know, I saw – I had that model. I had that picture. I knew what it looked like. I, you know, I, I saw the power in knowing your own uh, – knowing laws, knowing your place, having a position of authority. Like in Mormonism, women have no authority. So even like that, a 12-year-old boy because 12-year-old boys get the priesthood when, when they're that young. And so even a 12-year-old boy has more authority than – his grandmother or any woman in the room. Um, and so my mom didn't have authority within the structure, but she had authority outside in the secular world. Um, and so that's what I wanted.
1: Oh, my God. I just thought of Game of Thrones when the 13-year-old oh, um, yep. <laughs> boy slaps his mother or she slaps him and he says, you will never do that again. Sorry. that yes. was just, But, you know, this idea of beca- yeah. just because you're male – you have the upper hand. It's like America only concentrated.
2: And it's also familial. Um, Mm -hmm. So sometimes people feel like, oh, I had the wage gap and blah, 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 and all these other things. But patriarchy, when it's inside your home, and it's inside your brain, and it's inside your scriptures, and it's inside your worship, feels much closer to home and more uh, intimate.
0: So it's like fully you, ingrained. Like how do you, how do you, you, do you disentangle yourself yeah, when it is hard. yourself?
1: Okay, <laughs> I'm still tell us about um, the process. Because so you go to law school. Did yeah. you go to an all women's law school? No, I <laughs> wish.
0: Does that exist?
1: I, um. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I went to a school. It's called American University Washington College of Law. It was founded by suffragettes. It's the first school in That's the world. That's where I got that idea. Yeah, the first school in the world that was founded by and for women. Um, but it was always a co education. Got it. So two, yeah, two suffragettes founded it. Uh, Alice Paul graduated Mm -hmm. from my law school. Um, And so I decided I had always wanted to go to law school and I just decided to go ahead. And I think the reason I was, and I never had children, even though I was married for a decade. Um, And I think the reason I was able to just somehow hold on to that tiny thread of self is because of my mother, because she taught Mm me, you are, Your own person through her example. Yeah, I don't know if she ever even said that to me. Probably not. But But she was doing
1: it. She was doing it. Yeah. Wow. So there you were in law school. Yeah. And uh, you finished law school. Did you marry a lawyer? Uh,
2: No, I married at BYU. So I. Oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I met when we did that protest, the Mm -hmm. circles chalk circles protest. I planned that with another. Uh, BYU student who then I married.
1: And how old were you when you got married? I was 26.
2: 26, okay. Yeah, I was got 26. It. And so you
0: guys were kind of on the same path of pushing yes. the boundaries and the edges.
2: Yes, he was okay. one of the only feminists that I knew. I don't even know if he would have called himself that at the time, or I would. I don't even know if I would have at the yeah. time. <laughs> um but we found each other we got married in the mormon temple you have to do a worthiness interview in order to do that and that was an entire process because we were in love and you know he would like stay over the night and then i would be like panic stricken and have to confess it and like all these different things just to like white knuckle long enough so we could like make it to the temple and get married (laughs) right Um, So we did, we did it guys, we did it. You got it. it. You... Um, we got married and that in and of itself was a very gendered and startling experience um, because in the covenant that you make, um, you have, it, so it's in this temple ceremony that is secret and you can only go to it if you have these, so only Mormon people can go and only the ones who are worthy can come. Um, So it leaves a lot of people outside the building. Like my sister couldn't come and, you know, some of his uncles couldn't come. Like there are people who can't come. Um, And so they're like literally waiting outside the building while the ceremony takes Mm. place, which is very awful. And, of course, the entire ceremony is performed by a man who you don't know. Um, But the troubling part of the ceremony is that men covenant to God and women covenant to their husbands, So essentially, men obey
1: God and women obey their husbands. Hmm. So that the husbands become a version of God. Yes. Yeah. Or the conduit. The conduit. Through which God Mm -hmm. speaks. Did that sit well with you? No. What about your husband?
2: Did that make sense to him? No. Okay. But we're just like, right, doing the best we can. You're like, let's play this game by these rules. I didn't change my surname, which was like a huge brouhaha. Oh, shit. they tried to change it on the certificate <laughs> and then i had to appeal to get it changed back and and i said well that's just not my name like that's not my legal name it's that's not my name it's incorrect you knew the laws and i and they said uh the man who was holding the certificate said it'll be nice when the light comes on for you
0: okay <laughs> Okay. Uh, 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 and I said,
2: <laughs> I was so polite because I'm Mormon, of course. So I said, I was thinking the same thing about you, brother.
0: <laughs> Ooh. That's kind okay. of like in Texas when you say,
1: Oh, bless you! God <laughs> yeah. oh, bless her. Bless your heart. That, oh, that mean, yeah. Bless your oh. heart. It means a similar thing. Can't yeah. wait for the light to go on for you, brother. Fuckers. Yes. Can't wait for the revolution to come. Oh, wait. wait. wait do so, wanna, like, fast
0: forward to when you ultimately separated.
1: Yeah. Right. How so, did this excommunication <clears throat> come about, and the the accusation of apostasy, which must have felt yeah. really devastating? Or yeah, was- I'm not sure. Oh Maybe yeah. it was a badge of honor, too. Maybe it was no. both things. I mean, so in a very short summation,
2: at a certain point, I just said, like, the fundamental problem is that women have no power or authority in this institution. And the only way to get that is for women to get the what's called the priesthood. No women have it. And all men have it. So it's not like Catholics where it's like certain people get it. It's all men. All men automatically. Every every active Mormon man on the planet has the priesthood.
1: You have a penis, you have the priesthood. Yes. Yes. Got it. So um, I just said, you know, someone has got to do
2: something about this. Someone has got to do something about this. And (laughs) her name is Kate Kelly. And she's going to start ordain women. (laughs) Yes. So I finally was like, okay. I graduated from law school and I decided – I'm going to do something about this. And so I had learned so many things and met so many different people. And I participated in like Guantanamo protests at the White House in an orange jumpsuit and done all these different things and met all these different people. Um, So I decided, okay, I'm going to apply this direct action technique to my own most intimate community instead of like advocating for all these people all around the world I'm going to say, wait, I'm part of an institution that fundamentally discriminates against me and people like me. Oh, wow. um, and so, yeah, so we started, I started a group called Ordained Women. Was that in 2013? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, right after Mitt Romney lost okay. um, the election you know inshallah praise be um we almost had a mormon, president, we had a mormon so, president yeah something to think about very interesting um also in the most recent kavanaugh hearings uh confirmation hearings uh there were six mormons so yeah mm. mormons have a disproportionate sway on the senate uh, because of the ge- geography of it um wow. so anyways troubling so um I decided, okay, we're going to do something about this. Um, We're going to ask for the priesthood because that's the only thing that will work to resolve the fundamental issue. And it's the only thing we'll know if we get it. Like if you ask for equality, it's like, I don't, we don't know if we're there.
1: It's like, like don't, that don't sue somebody. Don't sue somebody for ten dollars. Sue somebody for ten billion dollars. Yes. And that's what you did with make ordained women. Make them feel, it. Make, yeah. them feel it. make it
2: make everyone know if we were successful or not. Um but at the time I was still so wildly sincere. Like I genuinely thought that it would change and that they would see our earnestness and that they would hear our petitions and that God would tell them to let us in. To ordain women. To ordain women. So we did a direct action where we, there's a there's an all-male priesthood meeting mm-hmm. uh, that only men obviously can go to because they only, are the only ones that have the priesthood. So we literally just like dressed in our Sunday best And went up to the meeting, which is on Temple Square, right in the epicenter of Salt Lake City, right by that, you know, very um, Disney-like temple. And we, one by one, went up to the door and asked to be permitted to go in. And we were turned away. Most of the women were weeping. You know, um, it's, it's one of those moments in life where you are experiencing this lived exclusion and oppression in a very visceral personal way for the first time you're not reading about it on a blog you're not talking about it with someone else you're going up to a man who has authority and saying you should let me in and he says no you know you're a woman uh and turns you away and, and so, it still,
0: like, brings that emotion out yeah, for you today. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm also a Mormon, so we just cry. Um, <laughs> just ask Glenn Beck. Um, so I – yeah, so we did that. And I think for that it – was, it was hundreds of women who, who eventually ended up joining. And that was the first time anything even remotely like that had ever happened in Mormonism. And so it was this really transformative experience for all of us. And I remember there was an Al Jazeera reporter there. There were lots – it got a lot of press. Yeah, and, understandably.
1: It's a um, huge
2: story. And mm-hmm. he said, wait, it's over? That's – like, that's – you would, like, politely ask to be let in and then walked away? Like, that's why the internet is melting down? Like, that's it? Everybody's <laughs> yeah, freaking
1: out that you had the nerve Everyone to be asked. Everyone is freaking the
2: fuck out, and he can't understand. Like, he – um you know, being an outsider, it's very hard to understand what a huge, like, revolutionary, monumental impact it has for a woman to ask to be permitted um, in a in an all male space. I get it. Yeah,
1: can't believe how brave you were. That is super courageous. And yeah. It was really courageous. And then you paid a very high price for yeah. it as the person who was the driving force behind yeah. this. Mm-hmm. So,
2: as a result, um, we did several other um, actions and gained a lot of popularity. And at this point, yeah, I'm hundreds and thousands of people. You know, when you start something like that, you have no idea. Like, it might just be you. Like, if this is a conversation that has never been had before, oh, and you like raise, you know, timidly raise your hand to speak up, you don't know who else will be behind you. Mm-hmm. And so, luckily, it was a conversation whose time had come, and there were hundreds of women and men who joined with me. Um, but as a result, I got a lot of negative attention from the church. And they eventually convened what's called a disciplinary proceeding against me. Again, this it's this worthiness interview going back in to this male authority figure. You didn't go to your disciplinary meeting. I did. I went to the initial one where they told me it was happening right. because I wasn't sure what was gonna be happening. So I did go to the initial um, meeting with the bishop. He told me they were gonna instigate a disciplinary proceeding against me. I begged him not to. Um, But I also refused to repent. So I said, how can I repent of telling the truth that men and women are not equal? Like, how can you repent of Mm -hmm. that? Um, And so we did not see eye to eye. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so they had a hearing uh, or a trial. Uh, The trial is called a court of love. That's literally what they call it. Um, so that's a troubling
1: euphemism. Part of the violence um, is in the language.
2: Of right. course, yeah. that's what abusive people do. Um, you know, I'm doing this because I love you. I'm hurting you because I have to. Uh, you're making you're punishment. making
1: me do this to you. I'm trying to make you good.
2: I'm trying to help you. Why won't you listen? Um, and so I was convicted in that proceeding uh, I the Mor- of apostasy yeah Mormon women are not permitted to read the rules by which the proceedings are governed um hashtag obviously so uh we had to literally my my lawyer was a Mormon woman and she had to get the proceeding the rule book off of Wikileaks
0: they leaked it
1: otherwise um, she wouldn't have had access yes. to the proceeding against you no that
0: is the craziest thing i've ever heard (laughs) it's such it's such
1: a closed system problem yeah uh
2: quite well and also the proceedings against men are very formal there's 15 people six speaking for, six speaking against the proceedings against women are just three dudes Hmm. and they just like arbitrarily deciding yeah so those three dudes who i knew like these are this is like again this is just my bishop of my local congregation like that dude had like brought strawberries over to my house with his wife and like we'd been to parties together and you know so there was like a relationship yes there. Yeah. i knew him um so that dude who is a lawyer um for an oil company so a shady lawyer um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um that dude decided that i don't get to go to heaven and they, Whoa! Yeah. That
0: that's what it is. It's not just being like kicked out or removed from oh, the yeah. church. It's you no longer get to go. The to
1: conduit heaven. of God decided yes. that you did not have access to the hereafter. Yes, and in their minds, that's literally what they
2: did. Um, and you know, it's it's so startling because for Mormons, there's something called a spiritual death and a physical death, aka death, um, and the spiritual death is worse. So it's actually worse than getting murdered um, because it lasts forever. So that's what they did to
0: Mm. me. And how did that feel?
2: It was so devastating. Mm. Um, I remember I got the, it was via email. ironically. Um, So I got the email and I was at a board meeting of ordained Women. So we were all sitting around this huge conference table. I get the email and I say, should I open it? And of course, everyone is like, yes, because we have to know this will impact everything. And I opened the email. I was scrolling down like, you know, blah, 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 sister so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. Like I was trying to find the decision part and it said that you have been excommunicated from the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints and i just crumbled like i wanted to be so strong i wanted to be um defiant but i couldn't Mm -hmm. i couldn't and so i just
1: basically started sobbing on the floor well they took away part of yourself
0: yeah it was like your life your life's work almost you know like this is something that you have built Every action and every thought that you've done since coming into this world, that one moment, it was taken. And I think, um, you know,
2: they took something that I didn't want them to have. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't want them to have power over me in that way. And they still did. And it, that was the disappointing part, mm-hmm. that was the difficult part. Um, but in retrospect, I think the Mormons gave me a gift because I don't think many people have one moment in their life where they can say, I chose principle above all else, that I lost my family and my lifestyle and my faith and you know everything, I lost everything for this principle that women are equal. And so they gave me a gift and they gave me a platform. And um, they also helped me leave because I don't, I'm a very loyal person. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know that I ever would have left on my own. Wow. I, I don't know.
1: Well, so. they set you on a course, Kate, because yeah. now you're a human rights lawyer for yes. women all over the world, yeah. including Africa, yeah. the United States women and children and men in Haiti. Yeah. So you are such a radical. You built so much out of that act of being excommunicated. You turned it into, I don't even know how to describe it. I've never heard a story like this ever. Mm-mm. I think um, the tools and the power
2: that Mormonism gave me I was able to translate into um, like being really proactive, not only for, once once you can advocate for yourself in your own community, that's the most difficult. For me, it's like, okay, I can go to Western Sahara or Zimbabwe or Dominican Republic or all these different places where I do work. Um, you know, I lived in Kenya and worked in Somalia, which is one of um, the most difficult contexts. But once you have Advocated for yourself in your most intimate community, there's really nothing you can't do, because that for me is the most difficult. Um, it's talking to people who are your loved ones about this these issues. It's there's no there's no wall of separation mm-hmm. between you and the cause, and so at that point, I really feel like I can. Um, I'm am well equipped to do a lot more with with um, the tools that
0: they gave me. Um. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so inspiring. It's incredibly inspiring. And I just have to say thank you for, you know, because I think that that point in your life could have gone either way, right? It could have just been crumbling, whole world falling, and what's left? Why even go on? Mm-hmm. Or it's like, no, I was given this beautiful, magnific- magnificent opportunity and
1: gift to help women all over the world. It's incredible. And it's also inspiring because how many women have experienced a version Mm -hmm. of this, perhaps not as Mm -hmm. intensely, but how many women every day are feeling like, in order to become myself, I have to take it that some people are renouncing me and now I have to walk through the fire. I mean, so in a way, it's a concentrated version of what so many people have experienced. And I think that you're standing and advocating for other people, couldn't be a better testament to what we can all do but I can't even imagine doing what you did, and I was not expecting this today. I, I wasn't expecting like, to be oh crying. My gosh. I know. I apologize.
0: Oh my god! No, this it's it's beautiful, right? I mean, the stories that bring out our emotions are the are the best ones. That's what really inspires people.
1: Kate, how can people feeling inspired by you right now find you? Where on social media? And and what are you working on? Like, and right what are, now, are you doing currently? right now? <clears throat>
2: um,
1: I work on so my
2: specialty is uh, implementing human rights in the U.S. Um, A lot of folks, so international human rights protocols and treaties and all these different things often get applied outwards. So we have this foreign policy and we say, oh, we got to help the women in Kenya. We got to do this. We got to do that. So my, I guess, consistent with my brand, um, my, uh, my work is to bring human rights home and implement it here. So one of the things I work on and am most passionate about is constitutional equality. Women are not included in the US Constitution at any level. Uh, and so one of my uh, most passionate projects is working on what's called the Equal Rights Amendment to include women in the US Constitution. I could talk about the ERA for like 17 more hours, but- We'll um, have you back. Yeah. So the long and the short
1: of it is, uh,
2: we need to finally ratify the Equal Rights Amendment and we're one state short.
1: I mean, that we can't ratify an amendment saying that men and women should be equal in the eyes of the law is pretty incredible. Yeah, it's very
2: telling. And I think, the for me, there are lots of legal reasons of why we need the Equal Rights Amendment. But at the, at the end of the day, when a child gets out a constitution and reads it in elementary school, they should read that there is gender equality and that sexism is not accepted and that parody is an american value
1: kate kelly feminist My yes <laughs> uh,
0: thank you thank you so much and how can people find you oh yeah um uh, i'm on twitter uh if you if you if you like
2: uh feminist rants and learning about cults i love join it. me <laughs> on twitter.com i uh, love your twitter Kate
1: kelly esq E S Q esquire you will not be disappointed when you read Kate <laughs> Kelly on Twitter or talk to her ever. We have to have you back to talk about the ERA. Thank you, yes, Kate, we'll for being here. here. You're I'm okay. fucking fired up. Woo! Let's go. Fired. ERA now.